Welcome to another episode of the Thereafter Podcast. Your host, Cortland Coffee here. And for today's intro to our interview, it is just me. Josh is not able to be with us to record the intro for this episode. He was there for the interview. Um, so we're going to keep it pretty short uh, on this intro. Uh, we had the honor and privilege of sitting down with Abby Norman uh, and talking to her a little bit about her upcoming book. Uh, I guess it's out. It's out. It's out now. Uh, as we are putting this episode out, uh, her book is uh, available. Uh, it is called You Can Talk to God Like That, The Surprising Power of Lament to Save Your Faith. And uh, it is available anywhere you buy books uh, on Amazon, Audible, uh, and anywhere else that you get your books. Uh, so we were stoked to get to sit down with Abby for this interview. We're really excited to share it with you. But since it is just me doing the intro here, uh, I won't babble on and waste your time. Uh, we're going to get right into the interview. So uh, without further ado, uh, this is our interview with Abby Norman. Welcome to an episode, an, an episode, another episode of the Thereafter podcast today. We are sitting down with Abby Norman, and I also have, obviously, my co-host Josh here with me. This is Cortland. I did that intro totally backwards, but welcome <laughs> to the show, Abby. Hi, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for hanging out with us. Yeah, I'm excited because I don't have to do bedtime today because I'm had to hang out with you guys. Woo! <laughs> nice. Hey, anytime you need an excuse, we I can know. do I'm part be like, two. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was so excited that uh, we connected on Twitter. I had heard you on Micah J. Murray's yeah. podcast. Yes. Which gets frequent shout outs on the show. And then I think I saw a... Uh, Instagram story where Kevin Garcia was hitting you up to do a podcast. Uh, and then I kept seeing you on Twitter and then we connected and you were like, let's do a podcast. And I was like, Oh, I got, I got, I literally got like <laughs> yeah. girl giggly excitement when uh, you reached out. So we're just honored to have you on the show today Thanks. and be able to talk to you about your book and your work. So yeah. To kick it off, why don't you give us a little background on you, a little bit of maybe where the context you came out of in terms of faith, yep. uh, in terms of growing up and, you know, did you find faith at some point? Were you born into it? Mm -hmm. Give us a little background. Yeah. So I was raised in the Midwest, um, in Toledo, Ohio, really close to Michigan. And um, my parents, I like to say that they were missional Christians, like before that was a word or before Francis Chan wrote a book about it. So um, my dad um, quit his like fancy lawyer job. I really should write a fiction book about this. And he just like, <laughs> Because it's, so, it's like, is that real? I promise it is. And he just set up like an office um, in 1985 across the street from the gay bar in Toledo, Ohio, because there was only one. And um, <laughs> on the door, it said John S. France, attorney at law, really small in white letters. And then in these huge red letters that I remember in the picture window, it just said Jesus. And he basically just like <laughs> helped whoever showed up. 
Oh, wow. No way. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And then he would like bring them home for dinner. Like, so I, yeah, I was like in the third or fourth grade before I was like, wait a minute, y'all don't know homeless people. That's weird. Like I had no idea. And it just was like our growing up because my mom didn't make it weird. You know, she was like, oh, Danny, good to see you again. After your shower, please join us for dinner. And I was like, okay, because you know how like kids, you just never, whatever is happening in your house, you're like, this is what happens in everybody's house. Yeah, that's right. right. um, Like, you know, not a lot of like, you know, eight year olds, like, met prostitutes like it just wasn't a thing and so yeah and my mom worked at the community college and just was like deeply she is um one of those midwestern women who's just like deeply deeply practical which I just love and and just took that to her Christianity and to like helping people and to like feeding the people that my dad brought home to in a casserole and um Yeah. And so that's how I grew up. And I also grew up in an evangelical church in the 90s to, yeah, in the late 90s, early 2000s, I was in the youth group. And the only way I can, I feel like there's such, uh, evangelical is such a broad spectrum. Yeah. Mm. So the way that I explain it is like, we didn't have like purity balls like nobody did that but like i did buy my own purity ring at a jackie velasquez concert you know (laughs) but like so it's like it was in the air but i definitely thought i was choosing it if that makes sense yeah yes and like no one would ever say that women couldn't preach because i think like theoretically they could but i definitely you know, was taken off of the like youth group leadership roster because I was already so good at leadership and some of the boys needed an opportunity to grow. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I definitely, yeah. So like being an evangelical woman and it, it now I think about like, Oh my gosh, if I had a kid like me in my church, I would be like, sister, you know, you're called to preach, right? I mean, like I was, I was the president, (laughs) I was the president of the speech team. Like I loved being on stage. I was like taking home big trophies every weekend, loved Jesus, was like raised in this home where I was, you know, hanging out with homeless people. Like it wasn't a big deal. And then Mm -hmm. could read, would read anything I could get my hands on. And nobody was like, I think, I think you might. Yeah. Hmm. So I ended up um, getting married really young, which I, God bless 21 year old Abby, whose brain was not fully developed uh-huh. for like picking a great guy. Yep. yep. Yeah. We're, same boat. Yeah. We're like still happily married. We deconstructed together. Um, but we like moved to Atlanta to um, maybe church plant. Like we basically moved to Atlanta because we felt like God told us to. From Ohio. From well, yeah, I went to college in Indiana, but yeah. Okay. And so, like, from the Midwest, didn't know anyone. Just like was like, okay, we're moving to Atlanta, and the church plant we thought we were going to help out with never planted, and we ended up at a Baptist church for like a really long time, Um, basically until I was could not deny anymore that I was being called to something, and they couldn't 
figure out what to do with me because I have lady parts. Yep. Yep. There was no, nowhere to go at that point. Yeah. And I kept getting like the runaround, you know, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I'd be like, Hey, can we talk? And, and this we're talking about, like, I wrote their, I wrote their children's curriculum for three years. Uh-huh. Um, I wrote all the drama they did for years. Like I was praying, like I was reading scripture. I was blogging at the time. The pastor would quote my blog. Yep. Yep. Ah. Could could not preach. Yep. Yep. And that is one of the things that I think is so funny growing up. I grew up Southern Baptist and I grew up in lots of, you know, uh, uh, churches that, you know, didn't allow women to do anything but teach the children. Uh, uh, I always get the word wrong. Complementarian. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that was, that was thick within, you know, all of the doctrine and all of the culture that I grew up in. But what's so funny about it is, is in most of those contexts, churches, et cetera, the, the women really ran shit. Well, they uh, do all the things they just, <laughs> and I'm convinced at this point that the reason is because if you, if you were willing to ordain women, you'd have to pay them for their labor and the church cannot afford to do that. Yeah. 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 It was like, we can't have women elders, but then we would like, uh, uh, adjourn the elders meeting so that all the men could go home and quote unquote pray about it. But it really meant that they go home and ask their wives, their opinion, and then they'd come (laughs) back and make the decisions. Like that was, I mean, a hundred percent what happened. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, also the women are like doing the setup and the cleanup and feeding everyone. And like, I joke, but it's also like not a joke. Like one of the reasons we didn't end up leaving the church, I we knew for a long time it wasn't compatible, but I had two kids in diapers and like anytime I needed a meal trip and I was working full time and my husband was in, in PhD. Yeah. So it was like meal trains handled. I mean, I could like just say at the women's Bible study, like where I'm just so exhausted. If you could pray for me and somebody would be like, Oh my God, can I get you a chicken? And like, <laughs> they meant like, <laughs> no, that like actually happened. Uh, and, and then, and then like the full chicken dinner showed up at my house that week because they were like, you seem overwhelmed. Like the amount, you know, just like the community was so good. Mm. And we don't have any family down here. And I was like, I don't know how to do this without this, not just church, but like this church. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's a very common story because even in these like horrible churches, you find really good and genuine people. Yep. Did you find like people were basically moving the goalposts from you like all the time? Like if you wanted to you know, have a certain position on staff or, or speak to the community and they were, would they go like, yeah, I think it's going to happen. Just wait. Okay. I was literally told that the head pastor there, cause I was like, I don't really want to be a head pastor. Um, which is funny cause I am now for the second time, but I was like, I don't really <laughs> want to be a head pastor and that I don't feel called to that. I just feel called to like something and, and the head pastor was even like, yeah, I definitely think you're called. <laughs> and then he was like, yeah, let's meet for coffee. And then like him and his wife and me and my husband, because of course, met, uh-huh. you know, for coffee and dessert. And they were like, yeah, we'll pray about that. 
And like that, I guess he's still praying about it. I don't I know. So. And so then like I, so I'm like continuing on. I'm, um, I mean, people like crap on Twitter all the time, but I like got to watch really good theological arguments happen on there and like just watch them. Yeah. And then be like, oh, okay, this is, oh, they have a point. Oh, I understand that. Oh, I see where this person's coming from. So I really like learned and grew so much. And then um, I ended up just getting so frustrated. And, and so then I emailed the pastor again and I was like, hey, I want to know the official stance on women in leadership. He was like, yeah, we should get coffee. And I... <laughs> And, and it's been so long, like, because we, we were friends with them, too. Right, right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they were like, man, we haven't hung out in a long time. I want to be like, yeah, because you're jerking me around. And, <laughs> and instead, I was like, I am. And so then I emailed back and I was like, I'm not emailing you as a friend. I am emailing you as a member of this church who has a right to know what we believe. Yeah. So then he was like, okay let's meet after service. So we met after service and I don't know why he thought I wasn't going to say that straight to his face, but I sure did again. And he was like, one of the problems is I think, you know, you're coming at this from a woman's point of view and I'm coming at this from a person's point of view. Oh, and I was like, it doesn't Wait. occur. <laughs> okay. That doesn't even make sense. From a person. Point- okay. Yeah. Said- yeah. <laughs> don't you think you're coming at it from a man's point of view? And he was like, no. But what was so weird about it was that this man was so sensitive to racial reconciliation and not just like the way that the Southern Baptists are throwing it around now. Like he really like was putting his money where his mouth was as far as the race thing was. Yeah. And so like he would have black men in all the time. Um, He offered a co-pastorship with a black man who had lost his church. And he was like, Hey, I think you're amazing. You can preach half the time. Like, I mean, he really, really was there. And then, so I was like, well, you often like bring other people in because we don't want just the white perspective. And he was like, yeah. And then he was like, I mean, I believe this is an, I believe that one day, I will ask a woman to preach, but like that day hasn't come yet. So, if, and that church plant no longer exists. And wouldn't you know it? The day never came. Never. <laughs> yeah. And and, so, and so, so, so what's interesting to me is your, your experience that you talk about. And I want to get, you know, into mm-hmm. the, the book and, you know, this concept of lament and, you know, which I think, significantly evolves around your relationship specifically with God. Yeah. Um, However, I think it's interesting before we get into that, it feels like your relationship with Christian community in general was, was relatively positive. Yes. I, I came out so unscathed, like just, I'm so grateful for so many things. And and one of them is like, yeah, I have mostly, I mean, if you put it on a scale, like the positives way outweigh the negatives. And then like my next church after that, I sent the, which is where I became a Methodist. I'm currently a Methodist pastor. Um, okay. Uh, and where I, I like started going to seminary and stuff. I mean, I emailed the man 
before before I showed up in his church and it was aggressive. Yeah. Because I had had like these runaround experiences, not just then. And then we were sort of church shopping and I would try to figure it out. Nobody wanted to tell me like what their policies were. And so mm-hmm. I was like, hi, we live in the neighborhood. Before I go to your church, I need to need, I need to know these eight things. I mean, I just was like, and, um, and his response was like, oh my gosh, I love so much that you care so much about this. Yes, we fully affirm women. I Because I'm the head pastor, I make sure that we have more women on the leadership than men, blah, 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 like so affirming. And then he was like, also, if you just want to get a beer with me sometime, like we can do that. And I was like, <laughs> oh, and instead I was like, I'll see you Sunday. I need you to know I cry a lot. <laughs> That's awesome. So I, I, so, so I'm curious just because it's diff- so different than my experience in terms of for me. And, and I think, you know, a lot of people who, who I've, you know, heard from and relate to, you know, some of my experience, it was the culture and it was like abuse and people in general that drove me. I mean, I was an atheist uh, early on, not really because of any beef I had with God, but because people were such assholes. Right. Uh, for you, as you talk about your deconstruction or you talk about, you know, seeing this stuff on Twitter, or asking these questions or evolving in your faith, for you, it wasn't necessarily driven as much by some type of abusive religious situation. Um, so what was it that made you start being curious or maybe think rethinking or thinking about things differently. What were some of the things that, you know, moved you from, you know, that kind of early, early nineties, late nineties, uh, early two thousands youth group kid, wherever mm-hmm. the time period, I didn't want to like, yeah. like under or over age you yeah, no, it's <laughs> wherever, fine. wherever it was that, that youth group kid to, you know, moving into the Methodist church and moving into more progressive theology. What, what were the things, you know, I mean, was yeah, it the- that's like a really good question because I have two sisters, older sisters who both are more conservative theologically than me. And I, me and my husband have talked about that because his family also is more conservative theologically. And we're like, how did this happen? <laughs> and, um, one of the things I think that happened is that I, I, um, had no idea what I wanted to do after I went to college, but I knew I wanted to keep competing on the speech team because I was, you know, very cool and popular. And, um, (laughs) I did that by going to college and I joined the speech team. Um, and you would think that you would have like nerdy conservative kids and instead you have like super smart, like free thinkers, yeah. Yeah. And so I met and also like so many gay men. And so like I ended up meeting my husband on the speech team. And like when we got engaged, um, I it was like he was coming out as straight. Like people were like, who? <laughs> who? <laughs> like they would like, no, they would like look at my hand and they'd be like, who's that from? And I'd be like, my duo partner, a Christian. And they're like, <laughs> He is the girls? Like, yeah. He is. I mean, it was fine. And so, like, I knew a lot of gay people way more than I think anybody, way more than my sisters for sure. And um 
I like the smartest women I knew were like, I was just thinking about this the other day. My head coach, um, Mary Moore, she, I'll never forget it. She, um, gave me a hundred dollars to sponsor me to go on project with campus crusade for Christ. And mm. me and her were talking about it. And she was like, it's, it's okay. Not a Christian. She was like smoking um, outside the comm building before our session. And I was like sitting there and talking to her. She was like, man, my taxes are going to be hilarious. Cause the only other person I ever give money to is Planned Parenthood. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> you know? but I, I love that because I'm like, she believes so fiercely in me. Yeah. Yeah. Like she believed so strongly in my abilities and my leadership. Um, you know, in my, and she was like, you know what? I trust you. Go yeah. do good work. Wow, yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. So, I think that that's so interesting. And it's just like, I don't know, like it blows my mind. And it also like encourages me as a, you know, uh, a non-religiously affiliated person who is also progressive, who also still has a lot of, you know, me personally, a lot of affinity for, religious and conservative people, you know, is there is this way to create relationship and create an inroad with somebody to move them down the road a little bit in terms of their belief system that doesn't necessarily involve them having to go through some type of really toxic, abusive religious situation, (laughs) you know? Um, And I think that that is, you know, I guess, a situation where I, I think oftentimes people in my situation don't feel like conservative, more conservative or religious people are interested in fellowship or mm-hmm. uh, relationship with people like me. Um, but I don't think that that's true well, necessarily all the time. No. And I don't think it is either. And like my journey to being gay affirming is that I started um, carpooling with a lesbian. And so, and it was like a pretty long carpool. So we were in the car together, like two hours a day, at least. So 10 hours a week. And I would like, listen to her, you know, call her wife and like, hear her talk about them. We got to know each other. And I was like, man, every single thing they told me about gay relationships is wrong because again, we had, we had two babies at home. And so my husband was in a PhD and I was like, damn, I would love her marriage. Like, <laughs> you know, which really was about like no kids and time constraints and stuff. But I was like, uh, if we're going to talk about which one of us has like the not okay relationship, it's not her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, there was no, like, we never like had a conversation where I was like, just so you know, I'm not down with that. Like, <laughs> you know, she she was funny because she had never really interacted with um, a religious person before. Yeah. And um, would ask me just like the funniest questions. And we got. To, yeah. She's now like one of seriously one of my dearest friends. Um, my kids call her and her wife like auntie. And um, yeah. And so I just like she just would ask me the funniest questions that that had never made me 
Like I never thought about it because I was always raised in Christianity and like she made me realize how weird Christianity was. So like I'll never forget the day she was like, okay, okay. Easter was coming up and she was like, I mean the resurrection, that's like a metaphor, right? And I was like, oh, oh no, like that? <laughs> I stand by that. And then and then somehow we kept talking and then she was like, what? Okay, yeah, but the virgin birth. And I was like, also not a metaphor. And she just started cracking up. And I was like, what is so funny? We both were teaching <laughs> high school. She was like, your whole faith comes down to believing a 15-year-old girl about who she fucked? <laughs> <laughs> and I started cracking up. And then I was like, I guess it does. Valid point. <laughs> <laughs> I think about that a lot at Christmas and it's like never going to be allowed to go into a sermon. <laughs> I definitely think it should. It should be right there. Like third point on the bulletin. Right. Like our whole. Yeah. Yeah. I, okay. So that's, that's wonderful. I, I like, I, I'm curious then to connect the dot then between this, this, this journey that you're on um, that you've talked a little bit about and talk a little bit about, you know, I, you sent me a, a copy of your book and I got like four pages in to it mm-hmm. <laughs> because I had to work this weekend and I, and I just got it right on Friday or something. No, I know. Um, Day jobs are the worst. <laughs> really excited to read it. So I skimmed through, but, but Tell me a little bit about, you know, this kind of you intro in the book talking about your struggle with health issues mm-hmm. and that the impact of that on your faith and your your walk with God. So so talk a little bit if you could, or maybe tell us a little yeah. bit about where that fits into the story. Yeah. So just mm-hmm. imagine like the most earnest 17-year-old girl of all time, like truly who like just wants to love God, like really just wants to love God well and all all of those things. And, um, and then I get really, really sick. And then like, I believe in miracles. I believe that God can heal people. And like, I can't even get a doctor to tell me what's wrong. Like, let alone, um, you know, like, let alone like have a healing experience. And so I just, I mean, I was really mad at God. I was furious. And I was like, oh, God, that I don't think that's allowed. Like, we bless God. We don't, like, tell God to shove it. And so um, my mom asked me one day if I was mad at God. And I was like, she knows. Like, oh, no, you know, my whole good girl, God loving (laughs) facade is cracked. And I was like, I am. And she was like, me too. (laughs) And I was like, motherfucker. Yeah. (laughs) No, like, really. She was like, I'm mad at God too. This is ridiculous. And I was like, (laughs) she was like, it's allowed. You should hear what they say about God in the Bible. And, um, I think that that saved my faith. Hmm. Like if there was like a moment that it was like, okay, this is it for me. I think that was it. Um, and it just, it, I think it just like opened up me being allowed to just be like, just deeply honest with God. And, um, 
And then, and I'm, I'm a pretty open book. And then I started blogging. Like I started blogging in 2010. So like wrote about my life on the internet for like 10 years. I mean, there's like nothing, um, that was like not on the table for me. Not published. Yeah. I mean, like, like people are always like, we can take off anything if you and I'm like, there's nothing that I haven't already said. Like, it's fine. And it's still all I know a lot of people like have taken their blogs down. And I actually like deconstructed through my blog. And so I actually left it up on purpose. And yeah. leave yeah. it up because I want people to see like, at the beginning, she's asking like, is God mad at me if I'm a working mom? Uh, which was a real question that I was had and still gets hits. And, yeah. mm-hmm. and then, and then to like, Hey, I'm in seminary. And, and so I just, I think that, um, it, one of the things that I noticed is that like the transparency I had with God and with other Christians, so many people did not have. Yeah. Yeah. I never, I, I don't think I ever really experienced that in, in any type of real way in, in Christian community. I mean, the closest I ever came and I wasn't super involved was, uh, I was moderately involved at a, at a church called Scum of the Earth. By that, I mean, I can't, I like went a few times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that was probably the most authentic type of Christian community that I, that I really saw, but I never really got deeply involved Um, but most of my Christian experience was, it was very performance based. It was very like, you have to like, if you're not, if you're not looking like you're, you're, you and God are doing okay, that's a problem. And, uh, questions. I mean, I was talking to somebody today who wrote me about, you know, I'm questioning things and I still just constantly feel this like deep shame about having questions or having doubts or having, uh, uh, being upset, you know? And I'm like, I feel that. I remember that, that feeling. Yeah. So I never had that shame piece, like was never there. And I think a lot of it comes down to like, you know, when your dad is like bringing home guys that live on the street or like women who, you know, are prostitutes. Um, he, the only people my dad ever spoke ill of ever were pimps. Cause he was like, yeah. they, um, take advantage of women. That's not okay. Cause like in high school, pimping was like the cool thing to say. And I, we said it once in front of my dad and that, <laughs> that provided a very deep lecture about how bad pimps were, uh, that I still remember. And so, yeah. And, and if you're like, like Jimmy is like literally calling us on Christmas day, like every hour and he just gets like drunker and drunker but your dad is like yeah he's a christian and god totally loves him and he means it yeah like you know if you're like are gay people not going to hell it's like well that is a safe question because jimmy started christmas day being like hi can i talk to your dad and ended christmas day like oh and like (laughs) that's when my parents like to remind me that he was desperately loved by god and was you know saved you just Fuck, like that's cool. That is, I'm so jealous of your childhood. I want to trade. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, it was that, great. That's incredible. So, so what does this process look like for you? And tell me a little bit about like, you know, what, 
you know, I, I, I saw that your, your books divided up into a few different sections about how lament it's kind of about like the personal experience, the community experience, and really what was the third is like kind of the global experience or the kind of the activist piece yeah, well, of that. Yes. So it's like the personal experience and then it's like the community within the church experience. And then it's like, what is the outward witness of lament and mm-hmm. what can it look like? So define, define for those. Cause we have yeah. people who listen, don't have any religious background no. and are like, why are you saying this word? Yeah. Cause I don't think lament is really a word that's no, said outside of not. church. Right. So define it for and, us. And even then it's not said very often. <laughs> yeah, that's um, true. So lament is when you tell God the, you give God the what for, as my grandma might say, like when you tell God, like I'm in pain, this is horrible. Why are you doing this? These people are terrible. Why do they get to be in charge? This is messed up. Um, and then the like biblical lament has just like the most amazing things, like um, like the part of the Bible that's like, God, I hate my enemies so much that if you ever put them in my hands, I will crush their baby skulls on rocks. <laughs> that's in there so i'm like it doesn't matter what thought i have because it's not gonna get worse than that or like god you have like i'm stranded in the middle of the desert and i'm starving to death and you don't even care you won't even bring the rain like stuff like that and then um Mm -hmm. more more like prophetic like less personal lament is like when the um prophets of god are just like, hey, people in leadership, you're terrible. Let me tell you how. And that often was like crazy performance art. So that was like um, lying naked in the middle of the uh, like town square for six months until you develop bed sores and then flipping over on the other side and doing it again. Like one of the prophets like kept this is horrible and also like so funny. Um, <laughs> kept a like huge fire going like outside of the temple except for the fire was made of poop so it would smell bad and then it was like he basically like his whole message is like you see how this stinks you stink too like (laughs) (laughs) prophetic so good I'm like, can we, man. Can, can some people start doing that in front of churches or would they just I, get arrested? I hope so. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. Anybody who's down, uh, I've got a list of 10 churches. Easy. You're I like, want poop fires in like, front we're of. We're going to need more manure. <laughs> yeah. 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 So talk about like the, the liberation of that. Yeah. So that I, term. Yeah, I think we're just obsessed with being blessed, you know? Like, I'm so blessed. It's so great. And also, yes. And, and then like sort of even, even like in secular places on the internet, um, like, like everything that is terrible has to be a big joke, you know? Like, it's like, um, and I clearly, I cope through humor a lot. Um, yeah. can relate. It's not, I don't know. It's like, maybe you're not allowed to say like, it's like, I write it in the book about how motherhood, like you're not allowed to be like, Oh my God, this is so hard. I'm so tired. I haven't had, you know, I haven't slept through the night in three years or whatever, which is true. You have to be Mm, like, 
Which is why I need my mommy juice. Who wants wine? <laughs> and like, you can't, like you, you can't just be like, no, seriously, I cried because I was so tired. Yeah. But I'm so blessed. My, I wouldn't yeah. give up my kids for the world. It's like nobody said you were gonna. Yeah. So it's just all of that. Like, like you don't have to be great. Man, you do not have to be grateful. Like, you don't. Like, you don't have to be grateful. You can just be like, this is total bullshit. You, you can say, like, pandemic sucks. It took so much shit for me. Yeah. And you don't have to be like, but I'm grateful I have my health. Like, you don't have to be grateful. You can be like, actually, this is just trash. Yeah. Yeah. There, there is, there is this like subversive, uh, element that does go kind of counterculture, uh, to, to, to the culture of the church and to just like the culture in general, uh, that says we can just shine a light on this thing and say, this is shit and this sucks. Right. Uh, and, but then what, I guess I, I the the question then you know usually that comes from that is then then what right like why like or what do we do with that um with that that this is shit Well sometimes we don't do anything with it I think sometimes mm. just like saying it is really helpful um body books about how you're like your body carries your trauma have become deeply popular in the pandemic um and and they're all true like all, all of the physiology says that like if you slam your, you know, if you slam your thumb in the door and you don't scream, it actually physically hurts more. Yeah. Like yeah. that's true. And so, yeah. yeah. And there's like study after study after study that, that says that. And then um, the other thing is like, sometimes it's just, um, so somebody else can hold it. So my friend just like, she went through just like the world's worst divorce. Like imagine as horrible as you can think of. And it was worse than that. And she just was like, there were days where she just was like, I can't do this anymore. I cannot hold, I can't hold this anymore. And I was like, yeah, plan your vacation in Cabo. And I will worry about all the things today. And like, I think when the church is functioning, that's like one of the things that we do is we hold things for each other. Guy, I'm a big believer in like holding other people's hope because like hope is so heavy sometimes. Mm. So you're allowed, like sometimes it isn't, it's a burden. And so you can say like, you can stop. You can totally stop hoping for this to get better or this to end, or you not be in a pain anymore. Like just, I'll hold that. And then just let me know when you want it back and I'll give it back to you. Yeah. Yeah. And that really, that really kind of goes right in from the, the personal experience to that communal experience. And I think it's something that even folks who don't have like, you know, for me, someone who doesn't have really a God concept, uh, or a God construct. However, I can really relate to that community piece of, you know, whether I'm, you know, whatever I want to call it, you know, not having a God, uh, the universe, life, uh, the cosmos, uh, whatever, <laughs> uh, 
sucks ass. And I have another person or I have multiple other people who can share that mm-hmm. and I can share that with that is sustaining and healing and is necessary. It's something that 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 allows for us to move through it rather than repress and push down and put all of that trauma back into our bodies. Right. I mean, I think that that the the psychological, you know, the mental health community agrees that that is harmful. That I, it doesn't know? work. Mm-hmm. Like that's the thing is I'm like, so this doesn't work. Like maybe it's yeah. my Midwestern roots, but on like just a practicality level, <laughs> like this yep. shit is not going to work. We've tried it. We tried it for a hundred years. Like it's not working. Let's try something else. Yeah. So, so how do you, how do you begin, I guess, for folks who, who are thinking that, yeah, that's what I need. How, how do you recommend that people find space for that? Okay. Well, look for the girl in the pew. If you are a churchgoer who is crying, uh, or really Mm. like look for anybody who's crying in public, because that is not something that we do. And if they even look like they're just fine with crying in public, then like they're probably super great. Um, But the other thing is like, you got to do it. Like you just, you attract those people. So um, I, yeah, I started going to this like very progressive um, church in, in the Southeast uh, and lots of people had their roots there. And so like, you want to talk about people who are just like, I'm fine. I'm fine. We're fine. Upper middle class, you know, and they're just like, mm-hmm. I'm fine. It's fine. We're everything is fine. Um, and I'm like, hey, I heard your kid got a autism diagnosis. How you been doing? And they're like, oh, it's fine. And I'm like, mm, I'm not I mean, like, I'm not saying that's like a horrible thing, but like that shit had to be hard. Like, come on, man. And so look for the person who is doing it already. Uh, which was me. But then this, the funniest thing is that the same people who were like, I'm fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. Would like text me. Like I'll never, this one woman who I'll take her name to my grave. I was, I was like, what? She just was like, what do you do when you're mad at God? That's what she just texted me out of the blue. You know, (laughs) it was like, it was like, what are you um, which casserole are you bringing to the potluck? What are you doing? Can you cover me for communion? What do you do when you're mad at God? And I was like, whoa. <laughs> like, and so, yeah. And I was like, before I was in seminary, before as a pastor, she just was like, I got to tell somebody this. And it seems like Abby won't judge me. Um, mm. So that, that, right. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I, they were like, okay, well, I know that Abby's feelings are safe with Abby. So like maybe mine are too. Yeah. What I hear you saying, what I hear, like this is how it condenses in my mind and tell me if this is correct. Like what I hear you saying is when you give permission, you get permission. Yeah. And also stop people. So if somebody, and it happens, oh my, it just happens all the time. So when someone starts saying like, they'll tell you how they really are. We really will. And then they'll go, but blah, blah, blah. I'm grateful. I'm fine. We're lucky. Da, da, da. Stop them mm. and say, yeah. 
no, that first part sounds really hard. That sounds like it sucks. And and then just stop talking. And they'll be like, (gasps) but sometimes they go like, yeah, it does. That was hard. I am sad. Yeah, I think I think we've been trained to, uh, I don't know, say that the, the grass is greener on the other side, so to speak. For sure. When a lot of times it's not. <laughs> and uh, um, no, and uh, a lot of times it's- we want to say like, well, I'm in this bad situation, but, you know, at least I have shoes, you know, or right. comparing ourselves to other people in other countries or whatever. whatever. Yeah. I mean, I even I. I caught myself at the beginning of the pandemic. I was like, well, but our jobs are flexible. So that's great. I'm like, oh my gosh, my kids are homeschooling from home without my help because I'm schooling from my computer and my husband is upstairs and like, we don't have enough rooms. Yeah. That shit sucks. That was horrible. And I was like, but I'm so glad because everyone's job is flexible. Like, no, it's, it was a horrible yeah. Yeah. Because ultimately, when you when you repress that, when you when you, you know, I think that there's it's not to say that you can't be grateful. And I think that we do a, a disservice. We love binaries. We love dichotomies uh, and these, you know, these things in in the way we think about things as Western people mm-hmm. who are very formulaic uh, and logical. It, But like it, 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 it's, you know, it. Pete Rollins talks a lot about like this idea of, you know, the lack, right? And like what you don't have. It doesn't matter how much you you have, mm-hmm. right? If there is, you know, you're you're, you know, a prince living in a mansion, you know, but you you don't have the ability to have any type of freedom. Right. Then are then are you really free, right? Like like it, it we oftentimes can look at ourselves and say, well, we have all of this stuff, but we're not really identifying the core uh, uh, trauma or the core uh, frustration or hardship that if we were to acknowledge, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to negate all the good stuff. It right. doesn't make you a whiny person. It just is. It just <laughs> You exists. have to acknowledge it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, and I think this plays really well in, I want to kind of get you to, to talk a little bit about kind of that last section. It, it, it oftentimes plays in, I think this is a good segue into, you know, I, I think that in the cultural context I grew up in, we did not talk about things like gender inequality or racial inequality or, uh, uh, colonization or numerous other things that we could have talked about because, you know, women can vote now and because, you know, we don't have slavery anymore and, you know, whatever, right? And there's, we, yeah, we almost societally do the same thing that we were just talking about at a personal level. That's like, well, I got three squares a day. sure we do. So who cares that I'm in prison? I have three squares a day. Yeah, we're not going to talk about the, the the bad shit. We're not going to talk about the stuff. And if people bring it up, it's oftentimes culturally pushed to the side and said, like, well, you're you're really bringing up a lot of uh, uh, of shit and not acknowledging all this good stuff right. that, you know, America has done or right. Christianity. Look, look, at you know, I, I bring up, you know, things like the Crusades and people are like, yeah, but look at hurricane relief that the Southern Baptist did, you know, during Katrina. And you're like, yes, but. Th- 
but still. Genocide. <laughs> uh, yeah, genocide. These things do not yes. have to, to, to be one versus one yes. comparison. So yeah. right. talk talk a little bit about that well, in a large yes. so societal the scale. Like um, lament is, I think, the most powerful tool that God gives to the oppressed to talk to and about the oppressor. Mm. Um, and I think that God, you know, it's so funny when, when the oppressed start talking about the oppressor, the oppressor is like, Oh, that's kind of mean. Aren't you supposed to be kind to me? Um, that's what Jesus would want. But actually like everywhere in the Bible, the oppressed has the license to pretty much say what they want about the oppressor. Um, and, and they do. And Jesus mm. did. And so, yeah. That is the first thing is like the, yeah, it's a tool of the oppressed. And one of the things it does is it stops normalizing things. So we as human beings, right? um, Evolutionary science says that we just like what we always notice is the new stuff. And so in order to survive, that's, that's how we're programmed. And so we get used to whatever environment we're in. And we think of that as normal. And it doesn't have to be. Or it's like not. Like it might mm, be really yeah. sick. So um, the example that I like to use is I spent a year um, working in the prison system as a youth chaplain as my internship for seminary. and. One of the things that I learned to do was to always call everyone children when I was speaking outside of when I was speaking about it. Like I'll, I'll call it the children's prison and yeah. the children that were incarcerated because youth detention center sounds better. And that's on purpose. That's so we get used to the idea that sometimes we lock up children And so you have to, Mm -hmm. one of the things that lament does is it like shakes us out of it. It's like, wait, that isn't normal. Like that is, that's crazy. This is messed up. Like that is the powerful people are being trash. Like that's true. Mm, Yeah. So um, we'll just like lament allows us to do that. It gives us a tool to do that. Um, but I also, so I, I set my book up, um, like personal lament and then like with your own little communities, you can hold the hope for each other. And then the public lament. And I think you have to go in that order because what Mm -hmm. ends up happening at the public lament, if you've never worked through their personal stuff is you get a bunch of white people being like, but I'm hurting too. And it's like, I got pulled over by the cops also. Or like white women being like, but I am oppressed as a woman. And it's like, okay, this is not about you today. Like you needed to work that out with God before you got here. Wow. Yeah. 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 Preach. Yes. Yeah. So that's like, um, but that's how I, yeah, that's how I set it up. Um, on purpose because that's what it needs to be. But lament it is so can be so powerful. And if you look at like the civil rights movement, like that's what it was. I mean, if you look at the rhetoric of the civil rights movement, if you look at um, William Bar- William Barber right now is leading protests in um, 
the Reverend Dr. William Barber is leading protests in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. Um, I know Andrew is his first name. I think it's Brown. Yeah, who was shot by the police and like they won't release the tape. Um, yeah. Anyway, and and but if you look at what they're doing, it's lament. It is like by the book lament. Yeah, that what you said about the order in which lament should happen on a personal level, uh, first community, then um, society, like mm -hmm. social justice movement. I can relate to that because I feel like as a teenager, um, you know, growing up when, uh, you know, when, when I was in high school, when they launched the war against Iraq yeah. uh, and then me feeling like, Oh, this is a great cause. I'm mean, it is a good cause, but I think for me, like sometimes it those bigger things can become distractions yes. for us uh to avoid dealing with our own shit. Yes. <laughs> no, yeah. that's that's so real. And so it's so funny, like, you know, you just hear I don't even really hear that many black people say it anymore. It's like almost always white people being like, You have to do the work. But like no one ever says like what the work is. And mm. so like white people love to think that the work is like dominating more money, going to more protests, like, um, you know, and tweeting more, oh, tweeting more, like getting in a fight yep. with your uncle at Thanksgiving, you know, yeah, or on <laughs> or Facebook where, in the yeah, comments. Like, that's where the majority of social change happens, though, is in the comments on Facebook. Getting blocked, you know, like, so you can brag about it. Like, oh, these mega guys blocked me. But, like, it definitely is not looking at your life and saying, like, oh, I chose this neighborhood because the schools were good. And what I meant by the schools were good were it was predominantly white. But I live in Atlanta. Yeah. And so yep. maybe that's messed up. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe there is something at a at a much more personal level that we're afraid of. Yeah. And like that's yeah. another thing is like Lament really invites us to say like, oh, I was wrong. And not just and then like um I always call it Daniel Tiger style because that's where I learned it. Um that's, Hell yes. that's like some solid theology though. I'll go to bat for Daniel yep. Tiger theology yep. every day of the Because Daniel Tiger is built on the theology of Mr. Rogers. Right. So it's got a it's <laughs> yeah. it's got a lineage yes. of good theology. Um, but, but like <laughs> when you say you're sorry, it's like first we say I'm sorry, then we say, How can I help? Okay. Like yep. that's that's where it's at. Like that's that's yeah. the work. First we say I'm sorry, then we say how can I help? But you gotta mean it. You got to be sorry. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And you have to, you have to, I think, I, I think that you have to, you have to personalize it. Like, like, and I think that that's one of the things that about your story and, and what I've seen from you and heard from you and in, in, you know, these different uh, podcast interviews and, and your writing is, is so many people I heard speak from the pulpit used a like this kind of like false humility type of of messaging to never really I, I forget what his name so is they don't have to and, engage 
Well, and they don't have to be actually humiliated. Oh, like, yes. I, forget, I, I forget who it was that said that humility without humiliation is not really, if I'm going to exercise some form of humility, but I'm skirting it so that I'm not truly humiliated, yeah, you gotta have, then it's not really. Yeah, you got to have some skin in the game. Yeah, it's not really well, real. It's not really And genuine. then you get garbage like, um, oh, well, I know that preacher uh, was having sex with teenagers, but who among us hasn't sinned? Like, what? <laughs> yeah, and that's like where you... <laughs> Well, that's where you end up. I'm doing a lot of voices today. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> I love it. I'm I'm a fan. Okay. Um, but like that, right? And it's like, no. Unless you have yeah. something to report, bro. Like, I would be very interested considering you're the pastor here or whatever. But yeah, you have to have some skin in the game. Like, I um Yeah, and I I think I learned all of that the hard way. Um, especially when it comes to like racial reconciliation, I, I taught for four or five years, um, in a school where I was like, there was like one white student, everybody was black. Um, and the first, I don't know what happened to this kid. And now I know, now I understand like, oh, he was like the darkest kid in my class. He had like locks. So he wore his clothes particularly loose. Like if you like had someone come into the school and be like, hey, we need someone to play a thug. You would pick this kid. He was a great. Yeah. He was he was such a baby. Anyway, I was like, hey, everybody get a pencil out. And he reached for his pencil. And in my head, something went off in my head. I was like 21, 22. It was 22. And I was like, he has a gun. Yeah. And I was like, and then I yelled at him. And I was this English teacher. And I was like, what are you doing? And he was like, I was was getting out my pencil because I asked him yeah. to. And that moment really stuck with me. Fuck. Yeah. I, yes. Oh, and, man, I can just relate. Cause, and if you're a white person who's saying like, Oh, I've never had that happen. I'm like, then you are not around enough black people or yeah. you are yes. lying. Yeah. Because it's in the air and we breathe yeah. it in and it's going to take a lot to deconstruct that every day. Yes. Yes. And, 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 and if we are not going to acknowledge it, then how the fuck are we going to fix right. it? Imagine if <laughs> right, I was just right. like, man, I'm the teacher. And so I yelled at that kid cause he's bad. Like, which is yeah. what happens, which is why like our, our suspension rate of black boys is like eight times higher than it is white boys. Yep. Mm. Yep. And, and then systemic issues like that persist. Uh, partly because of white denial because of not to make this whole thing about race, but just like denial in general. And again, that's why I go back to repression. It's like repress all negative thought, repress anything that would make you look bad, repress Mm -hmm. anything that you, that's going to offend the the powers. And also repress anything that would hold you personal responsibility and actually make you have to change. Like that's the thing that I was, I'm so struck by coming from like, um, you know, like the Southern Baptists want to be like critical race theory isn't a thing. Like the, it's all about personal sin, personal responsibility, personal, 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 right? So that so that yep. I don't have to sell any of my personal belongings or like give up anything personally. Okay, but on the other yeah. side of that, you have liberal mainline churches, of which I am a part of one, and this is their deal. They're like, oh, it's systemic, it's systemic. The system is so big. 
God, fix it. Because they're like, I can't fix it. It's systemic. Mm -hmm. Well, isn't that convenient that the system works for you? And also you can't throw a stick in any of the cogs. Ha. Mm. Mm. (laughs) You can't like, yeah. And so on either side, you know, it's like, okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. God damn it. Abby, that is, that is good. That is, that is stuff. All of this has made me think, and I think will be really good (laughs) for people to hear. Uh, We're like right at time here pretty much for, for uh, our interview time, because we're trying to keep our, our episodes from being two hours, which is 10, where they tend to go. (laughs) Cause we could talk to you for another two hours. Let's be honest. Uh, let, let would you talk a little bit we haven't yet even said the title of your book <laughs> yeah. would you would you say the title of your book talk about when yeah. it's releasing yeah okay, go can you what I you can do it tell yeah. you what i tried to call it and they said no um oh good yeah tell I us that i call it seriously oh. comma god question mark they said no um i wanted to call it wtf god they were like you can't sound bad. I was like, I bet you could. They were like, I think uh, you really could. <laughs> yeah, I think you I could. I know. I know. They were like, Abby. And I was like, fine. So then um, we started calling it, you can't talk to God like that because like you, I am a pretty expressive person. And so it seems very obvious when I say it that I, that is a lie and I'm saying it sarcastically, but we thought, oh, if you just see that on the book cover, um, then you're not going to pick it up because that's like not, or like the totally just the wrong people would pick it up. Everyone who would pick it up would be like, this is heretical. So, um, so we <laughs> called it, you can talk to God like that. The power of lament to save your faith. And it comes mm. out a week from tomorrow, May 18th. Ooh. Yeah. All right. So nice. what is what is, where's my calendar? Hold on one second. So, because we're recording this in advance, obviously. Right. What's the, where's my, today's the 10th. Today is the 10th. I'm just trying to see when a week from, or two weeks from tomorrow yeah. is. Cause that's when this episode is going to come out. Okay. It doesn't no, matter. No, it'll be, yeah. Know. So it, it'll be it's, out. It so it's out, out now. It came out a week ago. Woo. Yeah. Nice. Yes. Pop the champagne. So, and I'm, um, I've been getting a lot of really good feedback. I'm really excited about it. Um, and you can find me um, anywhere, especially on Twitter, though. At yeah. Have you hit 10,000 yet? No. I'm at 9,200. Oh, we got to get to 10,000. I'm going to be on a tweet campaign for the next week. I'm going to just see how much I can spam yeah. my audience to fo- my, my, my 100 oh, active poor babies. Uh, Twitter it's users. It's so hard because you're going to be like, I know she's wearing a collar, but like she promised she's <laughs> not like that. Um, yeah. Anyway. I don't know that there's anyone who actively follows me who doesn't already follow you. Let's be honest. <laughs> <Ever>. <laughs> but yeah. So, and, and I love interacting with people. Um, so what is your Twitter at handle? Abby so Norman says. Okay. And I'm that that's where I am everywhere. Um my, Okay. On Instagram. On Instagram, on Facebook. Um I, I set up a TikTok because my kids begged me to. Oh, that's we'll awesome. See. 
<laughs> I have a TikTok. I've made some. They're not good. That that platform is hard. Yeah. But I but I regularly get sucked into three and a half hours of TikTok. No. So uh, yeah, my husband watches them for hours and then he curates them for the family, which I like appreciate so much. It's so great. Dude, we do that too. We'll put it on the Apple TV. We'll yes. airplay my phone, and then we'll just swipe through everything I favorited for the last yes. week. It's, it's like <laughs> the best family time. It's like, okay, yes. this one's for my, like all the animal ones are for me. Yes. <laughs> cat TikTok. I'm on solidly on cat TikTok yeah. for sure. Yes. Uh, that's that's fantastic. I regularly get to the the, the point of TikTok uh, where you have the 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 TikTok sponsored one where it's like, Hey man, do you need a snack? <laughs> Would you, why don't you go drink some water? You've been on here a while. And I'm like, shut up. I, <laughs> one more hour. I'm not even thirsty. TikTok. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. I got to follow you on TikTok. So there's, I, I'm, I'm building yeah. some people, uh, who, who I love to follow. So I got to get you on in my feed. Yep. So, 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 what is the website? Uh, abbynorman.net. Abbynorman.net. Fantastic. Abby, thank you so much uh, for being here and for giving us all this time and wisdom and insight. And we can't re- wait to read your book. I'm excited to read all the way through it and not just skim <laughs> through it before this Thanks. interview. Yeah, so, right. <laughs> so uh, thank you so much. And thank we can't you. wait for our listeners to, to be able to pick up a copy as well. All right, and we are back, and and I say we are back, but it's just me. Uh, <laughs> since Josh is not here uh, recording with me, uh, we're gonna keep it really short. Uh, I'm a, I'm gonna keep it really short. I keep saying we. I'm so used to having him here. It's sad being all alone as I record. <laughs> but uh, so grateful for everyone who listens to this podcast. Grateful for the incredible guests who share their time with us. Uh, every week that we put out an episode, um, we're just amazed uh, at the caliber of people that we get to talk to on this show. Uh, as always, just want a quick reminder, if you are listening to this episode, and maybe this is one of the first ones that you've checked out, uh, go ahead and follow and subscribe. It really helps uh, us to be able to uh, let you know when we have new episodes that are out, which uh, at the moment are coming out every other Tuesday uh, as well as uh, helps us be able to reach more people if we have followers and subscribers on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, uh, all the places where podcasts are available. Uh, also, just another thing that we say every week, and uh, I want to you know quickly give a shout out to folks who have done this uh, because we do ask for this all the time, and that is to leave a quick review and a rating over on uh, Apple Podcasts. And so um, we had uh, Ashley leave us a review. Um, we had somebody by the moniker of PGF. Uh, we had a JRU18 um, as well as a CN Wells13. Uh, all of those reviews came in just recently and man, um, incredible reviews. And we're just really grateful for folks who take the time. Uh, it really helps us if you go over to Apple podcast, uh, and leave us a quick 
you know, five-star rating and a few words about the show, what you think about it, uh, and uh, how you maybe how you found it, what you like about it, maybe your favorite episode. Uh, it really helps us reach more people as well as just give us a little feedback uh, about the show and what you think about it. Uh, another great way to stay connected and give us feedback is to follow us on social media, uh, the Instagram, Thereafter Podcast, uh, or on Twitter, at Thereafter Pod. Uh, and then, you know, my personal Instagram and Twitter, I am pretty active, probably more active than I am on the Thereafter accounts. Uh, and that is just my full name, Cortland, like the city Portland with a C instead of a P. So that's Cortland Coffee, C-O-F-F-E-Y. Uh, and that's the same on Twitter and on Instagram. So please go over there and, uh, you know, follow us on those social accounts and reach out to us. Uh, we love hearing from folks who listen to the show, uh, what you like, what you don't like, uh, what you'd like to hear coming up, uh, any questions that you might have. Uh, and uh, we do have a website that's coming. We keep saying it's coming. Uh, and if you go to it, it, it says like it'll, it'll be here in negative time because we haven't changed the countdown and I was supposed to have it done already. But uh, there isn't a website yet up, but there will be a website soon. Um, we do have an email, uh, hosts at thereafterpod.com. If you're uh, an email person and you want to reach out to us that way, you can do that as well. Send us an email and give us some feedback about the show. So that is it for this week's episode. We're so grateful uh, for those of you who are listening and uh, excited for those of you who share the show. And if this show was uh, sent to you by somebody and somebody shared it with you, so thankful for you guys who spread the word and tell other people about the Thereafter podcast. Uh, we will be back. We have some incredible interviews coming up over the next few weeks as we wrap up season one of the show. Uh, there are uh, quite a few more episodes that we, we're going to put out here in season one, um, but we almost have all of them finished uh, in terms of our production uh, so that we can kind of take the summer uh, to reset and plan for season two. Um, but keep checking back because we have several more episodes coming out in season one of the Thereafter podcast. Uh, until next week, please stay safe out there. Get vaccinated. Uh, spend time with your friends and family. Enjoy. Uh, hopefully, if you're vaccinated, uh, hugging and being mask-free with your loved ones. Uh, until next week, uh, enjoy your time and stay safe out there in the Thereafter. <laughs>